0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Worth well, a try! And he's always prepared to give it a go. On the ball
1: on BFM 89.9.
0: Hello, and welcome to On the Ball with myself, Cam Ruslan. And we have today two pundits. He, uh, They are the uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and the Gareth Bale. We only need two, you see. We have Gogolin. Hey, 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 everyone. Wearing a strange PSG shirt, which (laughs) just took us all by surprise. And uh, Bob Holmes.
2: Hi, everybody. Good to be back with uh, proper football. Uh,
0: Well, I don't know what you mean by that. Because we've got Uh, internationals. We've got (laughs) Bob Holmes. Uh, We're going to wrap up the World Cup qualifiers. Mention the draw, uh, which will be happening at midnight our time tonight. And uh, Premier League. And also, I hope, a bit of a championship, too. So, guys, uh, let's begin with the final uh, matches to decide the path A and B. Uh, We still don't have a decision on the Wales versus Scotland or Ukraine. But uh, Portugal 2, Macedonia 0. Portugal go through. And what struck me is, actually, Portugal's got a pretty good team, Guglund.
1: Yes, yes. I, I spoke about this on Monday the other day. Portugal—they have a very good, very, very uh, how you say it, a well-balanced team this time. It's not just about Ronaldo and yeah. So they have a when when I say well-balanced, they have players in positions that are coveted by really nearly clubs around the world. And when you add Ronaldo to their mix, you have a very, very potent mix. The fact that they had to go to the playoffs was a bit of a mystery to me, but then Italy didn't even make it. So you know. But the fact that they are in the pot one is what surprises me, they're not Germany. So I'm sure we'll come to that in the while.
2: Mm.
0: And uh, Bob, I'm just, uh, you know, uh, Gogolin just said, and when you add Ronaldo to the mix, I guess when you're a manager and you've got today's Cristiano Ronaldo, you've got to accept instead of four four two, whatever, it's just 9-1. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah um but as we've seen in these games um he can still be an influence even when he doesn't score that's the thing i mean there's a there's always that threat and the opposition have always got to sort of even if they don't mark him that closely they've they've got to have people who are about to mark him if you see what I mean they've been allocated Ronaldo um so he does present a problem I mean it's difficult to play against him put it like that even at this great age um but uh, no Goggs is absolutely right Portugal I think would be um not among the absolute favorites but probably the you know in the sort of third fourth favorite position um for the World Cup and uh you know, they've, they've got a potential match winner there. He'll be um, not a year older, but uh, a mere eight months older now, Ronaldo. You tend to say when, when aging players uh, qualify for a World Cup, it oh, you know, you, he's going to be a year older and all that. But it's not like that this year, is it? Um, he won't be much older. And he's wearing very well. Uh, it's just a pity that Zlatan Ibrahimovic, another oldie, uh didn't make it but uh, that's uh, that's another story he he may still be around in 2026 don't write him off
0: <laughs> no absolutely but another oldie uh robert lewandowski therefore is through uh it was poland 2 sweden nil so ibra and the end of the ibra story but you think not but lewandowski i was wondering you know if you have if you have an international team and you've got one you're only allowed to have one really great player what position would you want them to be? Lewandowski's a striker. Poland really failed to shine at the last World Cup. And I wonder if having a striker with a so-so team behind
1: is actually very good. Uh, I think uh, with Lewandowski, he might be, he might have a so-so team behind him. But this Poland team, you know, we have the Matty Cash in it now. It's, it's, it's coming up quite nicely. And it's a much better team than the last World Cup. And yes, Lewandowski, is, he's playing like he's got a point to proof. I think he's always playing like he's got a point to proof. I mean, everybody says, yeah, in the Bundesliga and all that. But, you know, this is Lewandowski. And when, to answer to your question, Cam, is yes, will, if you want a great player in your team, you will be the striker. You know, Because you know he will put that away regardless. And a so-so team will give you the chances. Even if it's a half chance and you have a great striker, he will he'll convert it. You only win games by scoring goals.
2: I disagree. I, I'd go for a number 10 think think of maradona single handedly dragged argentina to the final and um what was it no, 80, uh, Six. 80, 80, Got to 86 86 gotta remember that one
0: as an englishman Bob. Uh, no
2: i was thinking uh i was thinking of the next one actually 90
1: 1990.
2: 86 they had a they had a decent team I, it wasn't a single hand. I mean, he was the star, obviously in '86. But they, single-handed he single-handedly won it. Yeah, it was single-handed. Well, certainly <laughs> one hand, one hand in particular. Yes. yes. No, I,
1: I disagree. The 1990, he, he, they, they, it's by luck of the draw. It was very, very dreary football it was One nils and all that. He dragged that dream through. Yes, but there was nothing to really celebrate about. And the fact that they got knocked out on a penalty in the finals was testimony to that fact that the, it was a horrible tournament. It was. It was. They dragged themselves to the final. So if you want to really talk about Diego, then...
2: He dragged them to the final.
1: Yeah, but, you know, it wasn't. he didn't light it up. If you're going to talk about lighting it up, then it was 86 because he, as a number 10, he lit up the game. He had Waldano oh. and all that up front, right?
2: Yeah, but, I mean, the question was if you were a one-man team. In 86, they weren't a one-man team. They were a very good team.
0: Well, that, that is uh, this week's trip down memory
2: lane. And <laughs> <laughs> we, we always have be, There'll
1: be a lot of that coming up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but he does isn't here.
1: Yeah. We'll have, we we'll talk about 1966
0: then. Let's look forward then. Let's look forward to the world cup. That's going to be happening in oh gosh, I don't know, two weeks time. Uh, it's pretty much finalized. I'm going to rattle off a bunch of names. Africa has been finalized, Senegal, Cameroon, Morocco, Ghana. So no Mohammed Salah, um, uh, got knocked out by penalties again. Uh, a lot of laser lights in his eyes. His, uh, bodyguard said that he lost sight briefly after the match, which is not good. Uh, CONCACAF, North America, we've got Canada, USA, Mexico, and Costa Rica will be in a playoff. And in South America, Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, Ecuador, and Peru in a playoff. And the mighty New Zealand have gotten their way through the Oceania, beating Solomon Islands, and they will be in a playoff, I believe, against Peru. Not entirely sure. Um, And in, in Asia, Saudi Arabia, South Korea, Japan are through, and I think Australia will be uh, in a playoff but uh bob we know a little bit about the, the the actual draw is going to be um tonight we don't know who's going to play who what the group of death will be but we know some of the pots
2: yeah um well it's it goes on uh, the fifa rankings basically um i mean we we know the the top teams are going to be in pot 1 so that they don't um play each other but uh there's always uh, a group of death and it's quite fun to try to predict this when you're looking at the pots before the draw has been made. I'm sure there'll be one. Uh, I think the Russian one there wasn't too much of a of a group of death, or was it the Euro? The, I think the last Euros I remember there was one tournament, big tournament recently, where there wasn't a group of death for some reason, but there usually is. And at this time, yeah, you're you're looking at some pretty tasty fixtures. I think. The group phase may be a little better than it is usually. Um, there's a surfeit of of quality there. The, the pot one or, or those those in pot one are pretty decent. A case could be made for saying virtually any of them could win the thing, uh, except for Qatar. And now Qatar's in pot one because they're the hosts. There's no way that they would ever be in pot one if if they weren't the hosts but that's something that's granted to the host apart from that they're the they're the best uh eight teams in the world fifa world rankings and then pot two is the next tier and then it goes down like that so you can see the potential i mean germany are in part two for example. So any, I think any group of death that comes out of this draw is going to have Germany in it. That's, um, that's a very unusual place for them to be.
1: Why, why, any idea why Germany is in port two? Because I, I really don't know.
2: Uh, well, they slipped up a bit, didn't they? Um, during uh, the, the Nations League. Rem- remember oh, is that that? Uh, so their ranking, their ranking slipped. And they got knocked out of the um, of the last World Cup at the group phase. Remember? Oh, well, I Russia. think
1: that, I thought that's that's why.
2: That that and the na- nations um, nations league also counts for something. Hmm. So a combination of the two meant that Germany slipped a little bit in the rankings.
0: Hmm. Well, we will know more about the, the group of deaths. Maybe there'll be more uh, on Monday. We'll talk about it more in depth there. But for now, we're going to take a short break and we're going to look at some of the friendlies that have happened over uh, the last week and uh, and see what, if we've learned anything about who will be playing England in the final of the World Cup uh, this year. Here on On The Ball, BFM 89.9. Deserved a goal, that. Love the return pass. Just wide.
1: On The Ball on BFM 89.9.
0: And we're back, and we're looking at some of the friendly international matches on on the ball that happened over this last week. So on Tuesday, Goughlin, uh, it was England 3, Ivory Coast nil. Eventually, there was a, a sending off, a red card, and the game uh, for um, an Ivory Coast player, and the game just died a death. But before that, it was looking pretty lively. I thought England looked good, Sterling looked very good, and... They they kind of played with a bit more panache than um, than you usually give them credit for.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think the whole game was overshadowed by the whole Maguire booing and everything like that. So I really don't know what happened with the game because you know there was not much mention where the game it was a it was a rudimentary affair. I think uh, so. You know, if, uh, the fact that Gareth South and the whole Maguire booing thing went on for like three days and uh, Gareth Southgate defending him at certain uh, parts of it. With, against the media and team if your own player is getting booed you know at by your own fans it's 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 testament to the fact that he's having a great i mean i really don't know words to describe his season but you cannot be booing your own defender in the international i think that's just completely out of order
0: yeah and also bob uh, it's not like maguire's done anything wrong for england and uh you know why 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 boo him Explain yourself. Explain your people.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Um, Inexplicable. Um, Maguire's actually played well for England. Um, He seems better for England than he does for Manchester United, actually. Um, And he he had quite a good game, made a goal, didn't he? Um, He didn't get the assist, but he brought the ball out from defence. You know, uh, uh, an excellent pass, uh, set up a goal. And uh, he's never let England down. I think it stems from some of the criticism he's had in uh, from the pundits in the UK, some fairly nasty stuff, particularly uh, from Roy Keane. One one particular game, uh, admittedly, Maguire had a disastrous game, but um, I think Roy Keane went a bit over the top and that inspired all the lowlifes on social media to uh, put the boot in, and uh, I think that probably does explain the uh, the booing at Wembley, but uh, he's just got to ride it out. I mean, remember a couple of years ago, Raheem Sterling was the victim of some pretty vicious booing, more worse than what Maguire had to put up with, and there was a racist element to that as well, uh, but he came through it. I mean, Sterling is a very strong character. Again, plays better for England than he does for his club. This is unheard of. I mean, you know, the tables have turned. There are two or three and in that side that I, I think regularly play better for England than they do for their clubs. And and Raheem Sterling and uh, Harry Maguire are two of them. And Sterling was a star. And, I mean, he was brilliant in the Euros. He was named in the team of the tournament. I mean, he's he's England's star attacker.
0: Yes, hmm. absolutely. Uh, and it, it's shameful, I think, that the the abuse that he's gotten. But then again, you know, like David Beckham, he got abuse, and then he sort of became a kind of god king to <laughs> England fans. Yeah, eventually. you can
2: come through it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, let's. Uh, I I mean, I thought they looked pretty good, but I don't know what we learned. But let's look at some of the other potential favourites. Uh, France 5 South Africa nil. Now South Africa are really bad. Uh, they've they've uh, dropped over the years and uh, so perhaps we can't learn too much. But one thing that I did see was the use of Olivier Giroud again still. Uh now you're wearing a PSG shirt so you're you're obviously very French, Goglin. <laughs> uh what, what what do you think of uh France? They I mean they seem the same which is still a good thing.
1: You know, of course, they are the defending world champions and they have a, a talent pool that is uh, second to none right now. Maybe, maybe England, if you ask me. But the, these games against, you know, the likes of South Africa, I always wonder what they offer and all that. So maybe it's, the, you know, the likes of Gil Oliver Giroux and all that, give them a chance. Give a plan B, a plan C for the managers, right? To see what they can afford. Because with the amount of players you have and all the stars, if they don't gel, you need to have a plan B, you need to have a plan C. And especially when it comes to cup tournaments, you need to have different set of plans because a, a tournament team is different to, a you know, Uh, like a Premier League team where you play week in, week out. Tournament team, you're playing like six, seven games. You have to have the mental strength, the mental fatigue to go through those games. And you have to win every game. You have to, even if you start slow, you still have chance. But if you start fast and you end slow, you know, there's a lot of things that go in. So a lot of teams have the mental capacity to do that. Teams like Brazil, teams in Germany, teams like Italy, you know, they have the mental capacity to go do well in tournaments. These are all tournament teams and you can bet your bottom dollar they will go far there'll be blips but generally they do well so when you play against like south african or that you're giving the the rest of the fringe players some uh, game time to see what they offer in the manager in terms of when he comes up against a low block or something like that
0: uh well he played fringe players like Kylian mbappe uh, (laughs) who scored two goals um i don't know france france a bit of an enigma but uh On a good day, when they they have passages of play. They seem to, instead of wanting to dominate the entire game the entire time, they they have moments where they flash.
2: Yeah, very French, isn't it? They play within themselves, but they can turn it on when they have to. Although they didn't manage it against Switzerland in the Euros, did they? Um, In that famous game, uh, probably the game of the competition, uh, when uh, they squandered a a lead with only about uh, less than 20 minutes to go um and they they haven't um looked back since though they they've won every game uh they've played since that uh debacle so um they're they're going to be favorites there's no question about that and when you when you look at the uh the side yeah well Killian and probably the star but um what talent they have and, and what depth the perhaps the only weakness is the goalkeeper And a captain, uh, Hugo Lloris of Spurs. And many Spurs fans are are wondering why he's still around. But uh, Didier Deschamps is keeping faith in him. And uh, I I think he'll probably lead the team out in in Qatar. But he's getting on a bit. But, uh, no, they're going to be hard to beat. And um, what a change. The last time they played South Africa, remember, they... um, the players went on strike. That's
0: right. Yes. Uh,
2: in the in the well, in the South African uh, World Cup of 2010, 12 years ago, it was absolute meltdown. So um, they they certainly recovered from then. Um, but yeah, they definitely going to be uh, favourites, France.
0: Well, uh, other potential favourites. And speaking of uh, theatre and implosion, uh, the Dutch uh, came to a. A very, really, quite exciting 1-1 draw with Germany. But I, what I took away from that, I thought Germany looked pretty good. They, uh, had some fluid counterattack. There's this mis- misconception with Germany that they're stolid and boring, which is absolutely untrue. And in my mind, the counterattacking goals that I can remember in world football are usually from Germany, uh, Gogolin.
1: Uh, Germany. Well, when I started watching football back in the early '70s and all that, Germany were the epitome of their uh, jerseys, like black and white, right? Boring. And of course, our TV was in black and white, so yes, <laughs> you know, a bit of the '78 World Cup. But then '82 was, you know, my first World Cup was technically 1982, and the I was born. I was, I was systematically programmed to hate the Germans. I think it was uh, it was still West Germany then, right? And their uh, their football was, you know tired to but you know they got to the finals but uh, thank God for Paolo Rossi but eventually I've come to see the new German squad and it's, it's a thing of beauty the way they play football they've they've, they've, they've uh, come up with systems that a lot of teams have uh, implemented you know that whole they have a, a back end that I've been uh, exposed to where they have the academies and all that and they are, they are youth squads that go on to become the national team is 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 a is a is a whole uh, systematic uh, thing that even Malaysia can actually copy, but I think they did to a certain extent with Kim Jong Kim, and then it all fell apart. So yes, the Germans are, I wouldn't say counterattack; they play really really good football now, you know, especially when they won it in uh, two thousand and fourteen. Right, that was the yeah. older generation. They should have won it in two thousand six uh, when they were they were the host country, but you know that team came to fruition, and they beat, to beat a good very good Argentina side in the final you know, it' to beat a very good Brazilian side also, which was actually, you know, they they stamped their marks, so I wouldn't call them an counter-attacking team anymore.
0: But uh Bob, you know, surely Germany should be the best in Europe. They got the biggest economy, the biggest population in Western Europe anyway. Uh biggest population probably of any really football mad nation, they should be. there should be no surprise that Germany are.
2: No, very good. it it isn't. Um and they are Uh, I think consistently uh, they probably have been the best European team Um, but uh, I mean other countries are are, are fairly large they have good organizations and France I mean uh, it's a big country Uh, Spain Italy I mean there's, there's a lot of competition in Europe and I think the reason the Germans haven't won it like every year is because of that you've got other countries which are not quite as large and not quite as economically powerful etc but they are still pretty good and uh, every now and again one of those is going to win like France won last time Spain uh, Spain actually dominated didn't they Um, they won the Euros twice and the World Cup in in an era that's unprecedented and that was the the golden age of uh, Xavi and Iniesta of course and uh, the barcelona golden age coincided with that um so each each country has its uh, moment i mean italy italy despite their uh recent uh, travails they have won the world cup four times um i mean uh, that's not bad going is it so so uh italy is a, is a great football nation but they they cocked it up badly this time didn't they <laughs>
0: well uh, uh briefly goglin uh Spain, a team that you've been talking up. Uh, I remember during that golden age, there was one semi final match and I counted there were tiki taka time 100, there were over, I gave gave up 100 passes and there were only two unforced errors. But uh, this Spain uh, beat Iceland, I think it's 5 0. Iceland, who fairly recently uh, were doing very
1: well. Uh, Spain, we should be considering. We should, we should, but this this Spain reminds me of the Arsenal when I mean, Ars- under Arsene Wenger, you know, They're all that touches, but nobody to actually finish the. There's no out and out goal scorer who wants to put the ball in the net during the Euros. You know, you saw Germany, you saw how teams with a low block against Spain and how they suffered. They had all the possession, they had eighty, seventy, eighty percent possession, and they couldn't score. And they, you know. Came into draws and all that. And in a tournament, you if a team comes up against low block, you need to have a plan B. Spain does not seem to have a plan B. I didn't, I was surprised when, you know, after the first game, they did not have... Other teams just took, took on that low block against them and they were grinding out draws because they couldn't score. And draws hurt you in a tournament.
0: Well, no, good point. Let's look out for that one when the World Cup happens. Uh, we're going to go for, for uh, a quick break now. And when we come back, uh, we'll be looking at the Premier League matches. Proper football, I think Bob was describing that. Uh, But before that, I want to talk about championship. And uh, here on On The Ball, BFM 89.9.
2: What about that clearance off the line? How important did that turn out to be in the end?
0: On The Ball on
1: BFM 89.9.
0: And we're back on On The Ball with myself, Cam Russell, and Bob Holmes and Gogolin. And now, Bob, I would like to ask you... um, To give your uh, insight on the championship, because we spend a lot of time on this show talking about the Premier League and talking about who's going to go down. We never really talk about who's going to go up. And we're we're looking now, I think it's feel like this is the run-in for the end of the season. And it really hots up in the championship at this point. So I would like to ask you, who uh, should we be looking out for? In the championship, what kind of styles are they playing? So at the moment, you've got two teams at the top: Fulham way ahead, uh, Bournemouth probably going to get the the automatic spot, barring some catastrophe. But below that, at the moment, in the playoff spots, you've got Luton, Huddersfield, Sheffield United, and Blackburn Rovers. Remember them, Bob? What you know, the the, the championship is a famously difficult league to predict, but. Uh, who do you think uh, we should be looking out for?
2: Well, any of those, um, and two or three who are behind them, actually, uh, including my own uh, club, Nottingham Forest. I've got to give them a mention because uh, they are ninth uh, at the moment, but they've got three games in hand on uh, many of the teams above them, and they're only uh, three points off the playoff position. So they've got to... Uh, they're definitely in with a shout. But, um, I mean, you mentioned the championship. Uh, in Malaysia, you get a lot of people who don't look beyond the Premier League. They don't even know who is in the championship. On the other hand, and these are tend to be older people, they remember supporting a team in their youth who's probably now in the championship. And although they've been, quiet about it probably for 20 years or so uh, they're beginning to stir when they see them uh, knocking on the door of promotion and wow you know they think that old club of theirs might get back in so there is an interest in Malaysia and I think it does deserve uh, a bit more coverage than it gets you know the championship is the fourth best watched uh, league in the world you know it's the uh, after the Premier League, uh, La Liga and uh, the Bundesliga. Mm.
0: In, in terms of attendances. Yeah.
2: The championship gets a bit bigger crowds than Serie A in the last few years. I mean, that's partly because of the decline of Italian football or club football. But yeah. So I think it does merit a lot of interest. And you've got, I mean, we've had teams like Leeds, Forest, Southampton go down there that are better known for being in the, um, in the Premier League in, in the distant past, uh, Forest Leeds and Southampton actually slipped out of the championship through the bottom door into the third tier at, at one stage. But uh, they managed to come back. But I think the teams that are in the playoff positions have all are, are all um, worthy of a mention here not least, Luton Town. They used to be regulars in the Premier League. They won the League Cup in 1988. And they almost went out of business. They certainly went out of the league. They went right through the pyramid down into the National League. And they came back in uh, 2010. And they've uh, been getting promoted ever since and then now in the playoff positions for getting back into the premier league and i can't even tell you a player in the team <laughs> i mean and i don't think anyone else on here can either i mean it's just it's like that but the managers obviously done a great job nathan jones uh blackburn rovers they won the premier league in 95 remember that mm. alan alan shearer and uh, chris sutton the SAS uh, Forest don't need any introduction. Sheffield United, they were in the Premier League for quite a while. So these are big names, and they're uh, basically fighting for the, um, the third place, because uh, I think, as you say, Fulham has certainly got number one spot wrapped up, and Bournemouth have got a hold on the second place. And the reason you get these yo-yo teams is because of the parachute payments these, the clubs that go down get up to a £40 million pound cushion to uh, cover their contracts because they've signed players on big contracts, uh, assuming they're going to be in the Premier League the following season. They get relegated and they're suddenly getting much less income, so they need that parachute payment to cover them. But I think it's far too generous and it's unfair on the other clubs who don't get it. So that's why you get these yo-yo teams like Norwich and Watford, who um, both of whom look likely to go down this season. But, but I can tell you now, both of them will be among the favourites to go back up next season.
0: Yeah. Un- railing against the unfair. Uh, that's a football fan speaking there. Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, Goglan, in your, your youth in the recent past, as an Aston Villa fan, you watched your team in the championship just a few Years ago, isn't it? And uh, I, w- I want to ask you, uh, what does it take, do you think, for a championship team to survive in the Premier League? So, Fulham, right now, high flying, the, the runaway winners, and the, apparently they play a very fluid, very attractive football, which to me means they're going to go straight back down.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> there, there are two things. Yeah, there are two things that you have to say when a team comes up from the championship. The championship is one of the notoriously one of the toughest leagues in the world to come up from. Because, you know, you play a lot of games and the, all the teams there are really, really good. You know, there's not much to separate most of the teams there. So you play, uh, and you play, uh, like I said, a lot of matches. So once you come up, right, and you're playing against the premiership, which is a, a step up in quality, yes, you have to tactically be uh, more disciplined, but also financially more disciplined. Because, you know, it's going to be a, it's going to be a give and take, right? Just because you got that promo- the money from the promotion doesn't mean you go out and spend it. Fulham famously spent a lot of money uh, during I think maybe three years ago when they beat Villa in the playoff you know which is the richest final in the world but they came straight back down because they spent all their money and and they changed managers midway through the season and all that so it's, it's, it's notoriously hard to survive in the premiership with the teams that come up straight from the championship like what Bob was alluding to it's a yo-yo effect right so Again, what I would say is you have to be you have to be tactically disciplined. You cannot just go out and play the way you're playing against the championship because you'll be found out very very quickly in the Premiership.
0: <clears throat> so Fulham are going to go straight back down. <laughs> yeah, they, they should have learned by now. <laughs> they should have. They should have done. You always say that though. T- when teams come up, you always think they should have learned by now. But you know, look at Norwich. And let's look at Leeds. Let's go to proper football, as Bob calls it. The Premier League is back. Was back. Leeds United. Uh, versus Southampton this weekend Uh, I'm just we're going to look at some of those more consequential matches Uh, not all the matches that are coming up but Leeds United um, they've done quite well in the last few matches Uh, I think they're looking safer at 29 points and key players are coming back I think Leeds are safe are they not Bob? Uh,
2: I think so yes mathematically uh, not yet but um, I think they've done enough with those two wins. The amazing win against Wolves, um, when they scored twice in the last few minutes, I think that really was the moment that um, saved them, when they could say that we're going to we're going to do it. Um, a bit fortunate, I think Wolves didn't know quite what had hit them, but um, all credit to Leeds and uh, their new manager. Um, uh, Jerry Marsh, isn't it? Marsh, um, M-A-R-S-C-H, I believe. Jesse, Jesse, um, Jesse. Jesse, Jesse, yeah. Jesse Marsh. That was close. Um, he you're was, th- you're uh, thinking of Jerry
1: Maguire. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> he was um, a little known. I think that's putting it mildly compared to Marcello Bielsa. Um, but he's he's come in and he's created a good impression. It was a difficult task following a legend um, and Leeds fans mostly were very upset to see Bielsa go, even though he was stubborn in refusing to change his tactics and may well have taken them down. But um, so imagine following uh, following a guy like that and being virtually unheard of. But um, he's been very open and honest and uh, he seems to have the players with him and he's got the fans with him very quickly. So he's made a very good impression. And that's helped enormously. And there's a positivity now about Leeds that they're going to do it. And they've also got Calvin Phillips, who's likely to start uh, for the first time since early December. And he's an absolute key man. I, I would say he, if there was one player they couldn't do without, going back to single-handed uh, teams, um, he was he's their number one player. And he's a midfielder. I mean, um, look at him for England. He grew Mm. in stature in the Euros. What a player. Um, And they've missed him badly. And also Patrick Bamford up front. And Patrick Bamford's now injured again, agonisingly, after only just coming back for five minutes. Um, But I think, yeah, to answer the question, I think they've done enough. They can't afford to slip up, but uh, I, I think they're just about safe looking at the table now um they've uh, they've played more games than anybody else but um they've got 29 points from 30 games um and they're well they're seven points above the bottom three so that's quite a cushion isn't it so yeah i, I think i think uh, barring disaster leads should be safe
0: yeah and uh Gogolin, your team aston villa Wolves v Aston Villa it's been a strange season for Aston Villa and uh, Wolves is one place above them there's a 10 point gap Wolves are in with a chance for a European spot if they want it I'm not really sure if Wolves really want anything in particular right now um but Aston Villa they it's a 10 point gap what are they playing for themselves and uh what what went right this season? What went wrong at the beginning? But now what's Steven Gerrard doing that's gotten them right?
1: Well, it was always the new, when Gerrard came in, there was the new manager, Mounds. He, he sorted the players out. He, he had a way of thinking that he he's communicated to the players. And they've uh, com- they uh, they embraced it. Yes, there's a hits and misses. You know, we are still finding a way you know as Arteta famously said trust the process and that's what we have to do with every manager that comes in we cannot have short term uh, results immediately this does not work that way you'll have a bounce but then it just you need to the manager needs to start uh, instilling his belief and systems into the team and uh, you know this season we 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 are not we are not in the relegation battle which is good wolves uh, are falling off the a bit on their form so it's a good get time to play them and again, I said a couple of weeks back, we are, we are already at the beach kind of thing mentality. But you know, every position up is you know money in the bank and all that stuff. So it's it's to play for as a team now again and get the get the system and the the manager's uh, belief going right for Villa at the moment.
0: So Gogolin, uh, has this then been? I mean, it's not the end of the season by any stretch, but I think that uh, barring disaster, Villa are on a path. They're on a journey uh, upwards. Has this been a good season? And what therefore would be. The desire for next season.
1: Again, I had this. I mean, I've been on this show for now. I don't know a good number of years, and we always say, you know, what is the what is the purpose of teams like Ursula Villa, and all that? We, because there's a the top four, and then there's the Europa League, which I personally am not a big fan of. Then there's the Conference League now. So, what are we playing for? What what is our thing? It always has to be top four because as a team like Villa, you have to be your ambition has to be top four, and eventually the Premiership. You have to create a, a, a business plan for that. So I always say to myself, you know, what what are we playing for? From ten point ten position onwards, what is your purpose in the in the Premier League? Is just to stay in the Premier League? Then what's the point? You know, it's just year in year you earn, you're in the Premier League, you you dawdle about in in it's about get some good results against the big sides, celebrate that, maybe an FA Cup, maybe a League Cup. What is the point of existence? And then the big clubs, you know, eventually get bought up by sovereign wealth funds, and the goalposts get changed again. So, unless we go, which is another story, of, uh, unfortunately, that's not here. <laughs> so, you know, that's another mm. story. So, what, if you ask me, Villa, trust the process. Stephen Gerrard, if he has a plan, if he, how long depends, again, how long he's going to stay until the Liverpool job comes calling. If he has a plan and stay, trust the manager, keep the faith, and trust the process.
0: Goglan, can I ask you, is your son an Aston Villa fan?
1: He was an Aston Villa fan, and then we went into the Champo, and then he was like, you know, can I, now he's a Liverpool fan. Oh. Villa's a second. <laughs> oh, that is so. <laughs> but like I, said, like I said, these days, uh, all the young boys, they don't follow teams, they follow players. So he, he's a big, he was a fan of Barcelona, and now he's a fan of PSG because of Messi. So, you know, I, and I, I already don't see that with him. I see that with a lot of them. You know, they mm. follow players. They don't follow teams anymore. So that's where your shirt comes from. Yeah, it's, it's, it's his shirt, by the way. I just stole it.
0: <laughs> and also behind you is a poster of Maradona. So. Yeah,
1: that, that, that's that, that's
0: a true God. <laughs> <laughs> like father, like son. Um, <clears throat> okay, well, in a moment, we're going to talk some more Premier League uh, here on On The Ball, BFM 89.9. It is a fine goal. Fine header, fine goal. On The
1: Ball on BFM 89.9.
0: And we're back. We're on our final part, and we're talking Premier League, proper football, as Bob calls it. And we're just going to be looking at some of the more, I think, important matches that are happening. And, Bob, I've chosen West Ham versus Everton, because West Ham have had well, a surprising season, uh, I think. I, I wasn't expecting them to do this well. They've dropped off a bit. Everton have had also a surprising season, a terrible season. And on top of that, they the Everton PLC has made... I think it's a £100 million loss. Wages are 95% of their turnover, and their wages are 188000000 Uh million. They're going to have to make cuts next season. Everton, I always thought they were quite a well-run team.
2: Well the team might be well run but the club isn't is it um it's an absolute disaster and this is uh, since the mashiri took over the big money man the guy that everton had been waiting for for years uh, a billionaire several times over um football crazy uh couldn't get anywhere at arsenal he he was a uh, director of Arsenal, which was his first love. But um, he couldn't muscle in on on the cronkie uh, regime there. So he left and um, put his money behind Everton. And it's the reverse of the Midas touch. Um, everything he seems to touch uh, is a disaster. I mean, he's had uh, a different manager every year, more than one manager per year. Um, more than one plan for a new stadium per year. And now even the one that they seem to have settled on has got problems. Um, I mean, it's a lousy time to be an Everton fan. It really is, especially with Liverpool having one of their golden eras. Um, And you really have to say that this is coming from the top and Everton fans are not shy in letting the board know this. Uh, Their decision-making has been incredible at times. And they it's scattergun. The only comparison you can give is Manchester United. Uh, it, it's piecemeal, scattergun. Uh, they just pluck a manager from here, player from there, just because of probably a good video highlights reel or something. There's no long-term plan. It's incoherent. And now they've got Frank Lampard, who, OK, the fans wanted him. Over some unknown uh, guy from Portugal, apparently, who the manager, who the uh, Moshiri was thinking of, because Lampard at least was a recognisable name. But Lampard's managerial pedigree is not proven. He He may have been a great player and seems a decent guy, but... Has he uh, fought a relegation battle in the Premier League and been successful well he 's in one now, and we 're going to find out what he 's made of they They got a break uh, against uh, Newcastle with that uh, with that vital goal, and they thought like Leeds United against wolves, that was the great moment they celebrated as if they 'd survived but They're still in the thick of it. They may eke out enough points at home, but they're absolute rubbish away from home. They can't get a point to save their lives. And I don't think they're going to get one against West Ham, which is Lampard's former club, you know, we forget. He actually played for West Ham before he played for Chelsea. Um, So I really can't see them getting anything there from uh, West Ham, who've uh, had a a couple of weeks now to train spending most of the time on the training ground not so many players going to international duty as other clubs and Moyes will have had them sorted out so I see a a home win for West Ham who are very much in the um, Europa uh, scene both in the Europa League in the current season and in terms of qualifying next season so West Ham have got a lot to play for um, but not as much as Everton, who've who've got survival. If they lose this, Everton are really, really in the you know down there. Especially if any of the bottom three get points uh, this weekend.
1: Let's not also forget that the uh, remaining fixtures are horrendous. You know they are playing all the top sides. So Absolutely. Everton, is, Everton, yeah. Everton has got the worst uh, run in compared to the rest of the teams.
2: Yeah, got to play Liverpool as well, haven't they?
1: <laughs> I I, I was, I've said before that I, I've
0: I've seen a number of teams. Big name teams get relegated, but I think if I saw Everton go down, that'd be the biggest um, name I've ever seen go down. I, I just, you know, Everton, they're just like, they're just there.
2: Yeah, yeah. They they went down in uh, the early 50s.
0: Well, I'm not that um, old, uh, but.
2: <laughs> just for the record, <laughs> uh, they have been down. Arsenal are the only team that hasn't been relegated since the uh, Second World War. Um, in fact, I don't think Arsenal have ever been relegated, but I'm sure some Arsenal fan will correct me if they mm. have.
0: OK. Hey, uh, Gogolun, I want to ask you about the other Liverpool club called Liverpool. Uh, uh, I, I think I think I may have spotted a potential banana skin in this one. Liverpool versus Watford. OK, hear me out. Uh, Liverpool have had a lot of players on international duty. Uh, Mohamed Salah, I think, is uh, going to be dealing with a lot of uh, sorrow, psychological damage from what was a really horrible match, and all those laser lights in his eyes and all that kind of thing. And he'll be wondering what he's doing here. Also, uh, there's talk about his contract renewal. He's asking, I believe, for three hundred thousand per week, uh, which would absolutely destroy the, the the wage structure at Liverpool. Watford are playing for their survival. And we've seen that they can string things together. Uh, am I just uh, deluding myself, or uh, do you think that Liverpool will just carve through them?
1: Uh, on paper, yes, they would definitely should carve through them. But you're <laughs> right; there's so many factors in play. The uh, majority of the Liverpool players were on international duty. Uh, Watford, not that many, I think, as well. Ismael and all that. But uh, so that might come into play, fatigue and all that stuff. But otherwise, and Watford playing for their skins against. Uh, uh, for the relegation but you have to understand Liverpool are chasing the title so they have their belief instilled in them by Klopp already and this Liverpool team is a bit more um, like you said uh, on the ball now they've already won it once they've, when you win it once the, the, the mental sharpness comes into play especially at the title run it. so they'll know what it takes and you know again they, there will be a low block against uh, Watford but I think this Liverpool side especially with the, the, the mentality they have now the togetherness they have in it they will overcome it
0: yeah i'm probably just deluding myself but uh if liverpool were to lose this one then then the, and and assuming uh city win then that would be that would be that i
1: think anything other than a win is a loss even if they draw it's uh, it's a uh, dropping two points is already uh, it's very crucial in this title running.
2: well yeah because they uh, if liverpool win they will actually go above city and uh that's a big psychological thing. By the time City take the field a few hours later, they will be second. And, you know, this, these things uh, play on players' minds. Um, so Liverpool would, would love to get the, the points. But Watford are one of the two teams that beat Liverpool this season. Um, and they'll be mindful of that. And they won't have uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's contributed more assists, I think, than just about any player in the Premier League from right back. He's a big loss, although he may be back for the big game next week against City, Uh, but he definitely will miss this one. And another thing, it's a, a Saturday lunchtime kickoff, which Klopp hates. You know, he's got all these players coming back from Africa and South America, and they only Usually get back about on the Thursday afternoon. They probably only have one training session before the game, and you know after a several thousand mile flight and uh, playing a game in a totally different uh, climate, um, it takes a little bit of adjusting even for these hardy pros. So yes, I agree. I think uh, Cam is absolutely right to spot a potential banana skin. But if anybody can cope with this, it is Jurgen Klopp and the Liverpool squad. A deep squad now. A couple of years ago, you might have said their squad is not that deep, on the, although it was very good. But this is this has got depth to it in just about every position. So I think they will cope with it.
0: Okay. Um, so let's look uh, look one final match, which, uh, which I don't know. I don't even know if this will be an upset. I can't tell. Manchester United will be hosting Leicester City. Leicester beginning to to claw back some kind of momentum. Manchester United, I was actually struggling just now to remember who the manager is. Do they, I mean, <laughs>
2: do, do they have one? Does it matter? The players are struggling.
0: Glazers, Glazers are the managers. Uh, yes, that's right, yeah. <laughs> um, I I don't, you're talking about, you know, ask, people asking about what's the point of the, the likes of Aston Villa. What's the point of Manchester United now? And uh, what, what, I don't know what are they playing for, and and do you think Leicester can beat them?
1: Well, we we were in this position. I mean, Liverpool fans will uh, remember being in this position a long time back when we you, when United were winning everything and Ferguson was there crowing about 19 and knocking them off the perch and everything. Liverpool were in this exact position where they didn't they knew they were not going to win anything for a while. They were in between managers. They were they had the Julier, they, they, they had the joint uh, manager manager Steve Roy Evans,
0: Roy Evans, Roy Evans, yeah.
1: yeah. So they had they were going through all these things and I've seen this before. It's a, it's a cycle. So, you know, once they start sorting it, it will take a while before United come back. Um, just because it's Manchester United it doesn't mean there's a magic wand out there that is going to, you know, sparkle fairy dust on them and then they suddenly become a team that can play together. It, they had a chance when, when they hired Ole as an interim manager and they had a chance to, you know, to go out there and get a good manager who can win a plan and, you know, this thing. They shot themselves in the foot when Ole got all those results and decided to keep him as a permanent manager. And now they're back in square one with Ralph Ragnick as internal manager. That's the manager right now, in case you're wondering, Ralph. Oh, uh, Cam. <laughs> right? And you know, and every week we have we have we every week we're fed by the media on the short list of everything, who's going on, who's gonna be, is it Tan Hag, is it Pochettino? Is it uh what's the just what? Lopetagu or whatever, you know. Again. This I don't see this uh, United side winning the Premiership in the next maybe five to six years. Well, maybe even ten, if you ask me. Until they saw themselves, because and where I'm, where we are being, uh, I am right now. I don't know what the plan is. I don't think even the United fans know what the plan is.
0: Mm. Well, on on a happy note for the United fans, that arrival of Julier, which I think did mark a sort of uh, a, a turnaround, that was thirty years ago. Was it um, something like that? So. That might be how long United fans are going to. So you know, dig in for a long slog, United fans, and it's something that perhaps your grandchildren will witness. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and with that, we come to the end of this week's show. And uh, and everybody, look, uh, looking forward to the the return of proper football. And uh, on Monday, we'll talk about the World Cup draw. But for now, I'd like to thank Bob Holmes.
2: Thanks, everybody. And I do include. Uh the championship in proper football what I meant by proper football was club football and not these infernal international breaks
1: I love international football to be fair this international break there was a reason for it right (laughs) yeah
2: Yeah, but I think they have to sort out the calendar that's my my uh, grouse on that one they can't keep doing this the climax of the season
1: the reason we have finished uh, on time this uh, time I think uh, Cam, is because Des is not around
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bob, I just want to say, it was international football that, that got me into football.
2: Yeah, yeah. There has to be. I mean, I'm all for the World Cups and the Euros, but having these constant interruptions in uh, club football, that's what I'm against. And I think they've got to redo the calendar, which is what Arsene Wenger is suggesting.
0: Oh, uh, it, although I don't agree
2: with his two, method.
0: Yeah, yeah. World Cup every two years. That's enough of that. Uh, sorry, and thank you, Gogoland. Cheers. Good to be back. <laughs> OK, and uh, join us again on Monday. But for now, it's On The Ball, BFM 89.9.
1: from an outstanding goalkeeper, and he's
0: been absolutely brilliant. On The Ball on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my
2: or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.